This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hey, little man. Hey, how are you doing? Doing good. Yeah? So that was a good day for yeah. you, huh? I did have a good today. I had, like, almost, like, from, like, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., I like, one half-hour break. It was just solid wall-to-wall meetings. But, like, half of them were, like, ministry or prayer meetings, so I can't really complain. And uh, overall, it was productive in that, you know, I had some proposals for people, and they were generally well-received. And, you know, still some open questions, but definitely getting the sort of buy-in that I was hoping for, which is always nice. Oh, that's good. So, how are, you, how are you? Are you done? Is Tucson secured? Yeah, right. No, I'm staying over the weekend. Oh, so you don't drive back tomorrow? You drive back on Sunday? Yeah, I was supposed to drive back tomorrow, but um, I will not be. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, have more to do. Wow. So when do you go yeah, home finally? Huh? So when will you finally go home? Um, unknown. I have oh, wow. a car in the hotel. Well, the hotel I have to move to tomorrow until next next Saturday, but um, I don't think I think I'll be cutting that short. Wow. Does this affect your wife and such? Hmm? Does this affect your family if you're gone an extra week, or are they pretty independent at this point? Um, I know says that they're okay. That they miss me, but they're okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be gone for for ten days, uh, and so my mm-hmm. wife had to readjust her hours to cover the kids' schooling and everything. And apparently, she had a, like a little chat with her boss, who was not happy about this because it screws up everybody else's schedule, so I have to make sure I don't, uh, I have to work hard, I have to be, I have to plan better so that uh, I don't put my wife in that situation again. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is, and so, and like, I was a little nervous when this was going to happen, but I decided, okay, I could whine and complain about the unfairness of it all and try and drag my heels, or I could say, okay, Let's just assume that this has to happen. What do I need to do to make it worth this extreme sacrifice and effort? I guess that's kind of a general, you know, um, strategy is when something really unpleasant seems like it's likely to happen, you can either try to fight it and possibly still lose and annoy the heck out of a lot of people, or you can Uh embrace it and say, okay, if I'm going to have to do this really unpleasant thing, how do I get the absolute maximum value out of it? Uh, so one, you know, I'm not wasting the, the, the sacrifice is not in vain, and two, hopefully, I, I gain enough status and resources that I can avoid the situation in the future. Hmm. Hmm. So is your wife okay? I mean, she's okay. She was like, just please don't do this again. You know. Hmm. So you know, because it's you know, it's I mean, it's hard in general. But she is also, uh, as we discussed, she's much less of a sociopath than I am, and other people's feelings really matter to her. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, making things awkward for other people is...
she doesn't want to put them out. Yes, she does not. Hmm. I'm like that. So, you don't want to put other people out? Yeah. But you hate it when that's they put you out. That's <laughs> I'm Sorry, I didn't catch that. Hence, being passive-aggressive. Yes. Anyway, this is actually a good segue, because I was thinking about, um, like we talked about this Emberland, the world of growing up, because, and that was a lot, you mentioned that like you weren't used to being criticized a lot, but I get the impression uh, that you were kind of used to people talking down to you. Right. Right. You hang around. Tall, right. I mean, you 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 were the youngest child uh, by many years. You know, your siblings were older. Your parents were way older. You always hung around with older, taller people like me and Leland. <laughs> and my brother. And your brother. Yeah. You know, like there's a there's part of you that you do not like it, but it is comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's the interesting story that I wanted to tell, which I think uh, is a good anecdote. And that was the day I discovered anger. Mm. And so this is when I was in Caltech. I got this girl uh, whose name begins with L. Uh, we'll call her out here. Uh, but this, if, if, if you, if you, did we ever tell you about the Caltech dating cycle? Um. Go over it again. It's, it's, it's short. It's, it's 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 a fun story. So boy meets girl. It's it's a little. It's not that different. It's different in a subtle way from the typical boy meets girl story. So boy meets girl. Boy feels madly in love with girl. Boy <laughs> uh, is uh, you know has deep emotional relationship with girl. Boy starts to suspect that something is wrong. Boy goes through agony of indecision. Boy only finally realizes it's not working. Uh, boy breaks it off. A uh, boy has second conversation with girl. <laughs> that was all in their head, huh? Yes. And, it, it, and, and this is this is fairly typical. Uh, uh, and so uh, there was this girl L, like I was hanging out with her, and you know it felt like there might be some chemistry there. And then I think I, you know, pushed it to an actual date, and I, I got the, oh, no, I just think of you as a friend thing, you know, which had happened before, right? So the, mm -hmm. uh, the interesting part was uh, I went to uh, a friend of mine from uh, college, actually went from, actually a girl from Wellesley College, the all-girl school, right, where they have a very different dynamic, uh, yeah. you know. Right. Point me the point that in fact, you know, girls at MIT actually have worse social skills because they don't need any. They will be popular no matter what. Right. Uh, and so, you know, well, you know, men are scarce and rare and valuable. So very different perspective. Um, and she's kind of like an older sister, mother figure almost. And I was sharing this story with her, uh, and I said, you know, part of me feels like I ought to be angry about this. Just kind of confessing that because I was embarrassed by the fact. And she looked at me and said, well, of course, you have a right to be angry. And that had literally never occurred to me in my entire life. Oh, interesting. That, 
Yeah, because, like, you know, you said you're used to being talked down to. I'm used to women being in a position of power, and, you know, the men are um, sort of uh, slaves to what the women wants and feels because of my emotional codependency issues with my mom. And this is why, you know, and this is why, even though I hate it, I apparently am most comfortable when I'm around emotionally unavailable women. Oh. And it was the, I, don't, I don't like it exactly, but I'm comfortable with it. Right? It's, it's, it's like the, I don't know, the, the, like, the, like the guy who had a shoe, that, like the guy who had a, a leg that was one leg that was too long. And, you know, he hated it. Uh, so then he got it, you know, he got it healed. But then it felt so funny to walk around like that. He ended up putting on a shoe that was too long on one foot to reproduce the sort of fake gait he was familiar with. So that was what his body had internalized as normal. And it was deeply disorienting and unsettling to be outside that. So he sort of regressed to, right, the way that, like, people who grew up in an alcoholic home and they say they hate it and then they marry an alcoholic. Mm. Right? Is that what our right. conscious mind hates, our bodily memories track as familiar. And so this was the predicament. But when she said that, it's like something popped. And it's like, oh, I can be angry. I am angry. And so I got <laughs> angry. And uh -oh. I learned a couple of things. One, when you're angry, don't tell the person. So, so, so the short answer is I learned the grief cycle. Right? You know, we the grief cycle, Kubler-Ross or whatever, is that, you know, that when something goes wrong, first you have denial. Then you have bargaining, uh, then you have anger, uh, then you have sorrow, and then you have acceptance. Right. Right? And so what I discovered yeah. is in the grief cycle, don't, a uh, couple of things. One is that don't talk to people when you're in the bargaining phase, or you will give too much away. Right? You'll make mm -hmm. a fool of yourself trying to fix things. And the second is don't talk to people in the anger phase because you will take too much away, right? You will say <laughs> cruel, hurtful things that you will come to regret, okay? Um, it is okay to talk to people when you're in the denial phase. You don't do it. And it is useful to talk to people in the sorrow phase, uh, especially if you find the right people because sorrow, what is it? Joy shared multiplies. Sorrow shared have. Right? You double your you double your joy when you share it and you have your sorrow. Right? That's why I hung out with you and Leland and talked about our romantic woes. Because it made us feel better and why it was slightly annoying when you've got a girlfriend and couldn't share that anymore. But anyway. Regardless. And the other thing I learned is that actually it's good to be angry, to let yourself be fully angry, because otherwise if you try to hold back the anger you get stuck in the anger phase, uh, you, you slow down in the anger phase, and then you get stuck in sorrow, and it becomes depression, because you're not mm -hmm. ready to let go of the anger. You have to kind of lean into the anger, and that gives you the energy to, to push all the way through sorrow to acceptance. Although sometimes if you do it too quick, you spin around the cycle a couple of times before you settle down again. Mm -hmm. um, so that was what I learned about anger, but that was in some ways um, 
I realize a big part of the journey to Everland, uh, right, is that when you are a child, when the world just is what it is and you have to take it at face value, you are stuck in Neverland. You never grow up. You are just a victim of circumstances. Yes, I am. Yeah, did we talk about High Ren? Who? High Ren. It's a song by a songwriter named Ren. And it is absolutely worth a YouTube. Uh, it has some foul language, so you may not want to do it when the family's around. Uh, but my mentor recommended it to me, and I recommend it to you. Because it is, um, I mean, it's not what I would say religious, but it is one of the most Christian works of art I've ever seen. Um, oh. And it, it is, um, uh, I encourage you to, to, to watch it, uh, and maybe we can discuss it in the future. But one of the things that he talks about, uh, he has a little postscript at the end, what he says is that in psychological warfare, there are no winners and there are no losers. There are only victims or students. Huh. And one of the most powerful tools of civilization is that when you bump into the sharp edges of the lie, is they react in a way that shames you. And when you feel shame, your instinct is to hide, right? The whole fig leaf in the garden. Instead right. of to, instead of to learn. And that mm. is the way that they keep us under their thumb, is that when we hit the edges of the illusion, they react with such violent uh uh you know, criticism to use your word, that you know, you run and hide, and therefore you don't realize that uh, they are not shaming you out of their strength. They are shaming you to hide their weakness. Because if they were strong, they would not need to shame you. Mm. And when you're a child, that's actually a good reflex, right? If John Mark felt bad that you were killing yourselves trying to chase him, he might not run into traffic that last time. <laughs> you know, you, know you, you want, you, you should not push your parents past your limits when they're, all they're trying to do is to keep you alive. Otherwise, right. they will stop trying to keep you alive and then you will die, right? So learning like, oh, I shouldn't do that, that would be really bad, that shame reflex to surrender is very adaptive and healthy and necessary. But it is the thing that keeps you as a child and specifically keeps those parts of you like my dealing with women, your dealing with authority figures, whatever, right? That part of you, even if the rest of you grows up and matures and has a wide range of emotions and experiences and agency, that part of you will always be trapped as a child. And so the first, um, uh, the first sign that you are on the road to Everland is when you discover your anger. And the the second phase in that story Testing one, two, three, you still there? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. So the second bit of the story, and we can stop after that and go in some other direction if you want, is that uh, when I was dealing with addiction in 2003, 
my pastor suggested journaling and writing a letter to your younger self to try and you know, get to the roots of the wounding and what was going on. So I, mm -hmm. Dr. Ernie, wrote a letter to little Ernie, uh, the little man, if you will. And you know, I started dialoguing with him about how he felt, you know, hurt and alone and isolated and trying to get him to open up about his feelings and encourage him or whatever. But then this other voice showed up, which was uh, what I called Junior Ernie, which was like, so Little Ernie was like a fifth grader, but Junior Ernie was an eighth grader, and boy, was he pissed at everything. He <laughs> just like, put the, you know, and like, he says, like, I said, you sound angry. He goes, angry? I have anger like Galactus devourer, devourer of worlds. <laughs> so that is, is probably the most, you know, that is the, very much the low-key impulse of like, you know, my whole purpose in existence is to destroy civilization because it is rotten and corrupt and deserves to die, right? And that anger and hatred at the outside world um, was, in fact, enormous progress. Because, you know, Little Ernie was still a victim, right? It's just like, life is hard, life is sad, life sucks, you know. You know, I'm trying and people are nice, but, you know, it's still sad sometimes. And Junior is like, no, snap out of it. You're being a wimp. You're just letting them take advantage of you. Like, they are evil. This sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, it is not your fault. It is their fault. And, you know, that is... Um, a uh, really important uh, developmental stage, right, is to stop internalizing everything and realize it. And, you know, and, and to be clear, sorry, I am so caught up in my internal reality, I uh, forgot that the light turned green. Uh, they externalized their rage by blowing their horn, which they absolutely needed to do to kick my reality in the rear end, move me forward. So anyway, and, you know, in some ways, like I said, your problem is in some ways maybe that you are too tenderhearted, is that you can see that it's wrong, and but you don't want to burn civilization down the ground. You'd rather let someone else do it and go where it's already happened. Right? You don't want to be the agent of this this world's destruction, but you are kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> Sorry? I don't think I'm going to be the agent of anything. Yeah. So I guess the, the question is, do you re do you remember feeling angry? Um, well, yeah. What? Okay. I mean, what? But it wasn't like a. I don't know that I ever saw it as a continued thing. You had moments of anger. Yeah. Yeah. So the question, the interesting question is, how did that? How or is what happened to that anger? Where did it go? It usually dissipates. So when it dissipates, is, is sorry, I guess this is an interesting question, right? Is there a, so there's several ways that anger goes, right? One is that it, you, you dump it on another person, like you vent on them, and then they feel terrible and you feel better, 
That is one way yeah. to deal with anger. Not recommended, but it is a way of dealing with it, isn't it? Right? Um, I think this Sorry? I think this happened with Anna and me a lot. Were you actually blow up at her? Yeah, where I go off about things, and that's part of the struggle we've had is because, you know, obviously she doesn't like that and doesn't want to hear it. Well, the thing is, okay, this is interesting, though. That there's there's dumping your anger on someone but to make them feel, but you don't, but you don't directly do that. You, you, okay, this is the second thing. You can vent about it to a third person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no. The second part is actually more interesting. First, so first way is to dump it on someone else. The second way is to internalize it and say, "Oh, it's my fault that this happened, or it didn't really happen. It's not a big deal." And to invalidate your anger. Yeah, I've done that. That is the second, yeah. right? And sometimes you do that yourself, and sometimes you outsource that to your wife. Well, sometimes, yeah, I do it to myself, but, like, yeah, yeah, she can talk me into thinking it's my fault. Right, but, but it feels like, like, if you share it with her, you should learn by now that that is what will happen, right? Mm-hmm. So at some point you are subconsciously, deliberately outsourcing the invalidation of your anger to your wife. Right. No habits. Uh, is there any other void uh, in dealing with your anger? Is there any other what? So those are the like the two two and a half ways that you to deal with anger. What is? Do you have any other ways that you deal with anger? Uh, don't go up and beat things. Um, Sorry. Oh, I don't yeah. go out. Yeah, I don't go out and beat things or destroy things. Um, Right, right. Yeah, you see, you don't do the first one of externalizing anger by causing pain and destruction somewhere else. You either self-invalidate your anger or you use your wife to invalidate your anger. I'm um, not a jumper. I'm not a car flipper. I'm not a looter. <laughs> right. I'm not an arsonist. Those are all right. the, the gang members. Those are all I'll call that category one. Category one, like 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 category one is causing damage outside to validate your anger. Right? Yeah. Whether it's verbal or physical or whatever. Um, that's a blue color. Sorry. This is going to be a controversial statement, but that seems to be kind of a blue collar. Right. Physical damage is blue collar. Verbal damage is white collar. Right. Yeah. So I've done the verbal. On someone where you actually took it out on someone and made them feel bad? Yeah, I've done that to Anna, I think. Well, I'm actually impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not happy, but impressed. Um, uh, there's an interest. I'm sure there's an interesting story there. Um, so the interesting, there is a there is a third option. There's a category three, which is um, more troubling, which is sort of self harm, where like the anger is. So, so you know, there's there's validating the anger externally. There's invalidating it internally. 
And then there's suppressing the anger and then, like, taking out with, like, self-harm, whether that's, like, drugs, alcohol, cutting, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. You find that attractive? No. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I blamed myself before, but having, like, cut myself over it. Yeah, when you blame yourself, it's a little bit more conscious. And you still retain a sort of agency um, where you're, like, blaming yourself or, you know, getting someone else to blame you or whatever. Uh, when you when you engage in self-harm, it's almost like you're trying to destroy your agency. Um, mm. So I feel like that's the third category. But can you guess what the fourth category is? Hmm. Mm-mm. So the fourth category, you know, is spoiler alert. Harm to others, harm to things, uh, harm to animals? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. no uh, you're getting close, though. Uh, uh, should I tell you or do you want to keep guessing? Um... David, this is, uh, sorry, little man, this is me. What is my answer to everything? Uh, pain. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're, already, we're already in the harm-pain thing, but uh, what name do I always call on in these circumstances? Uh, God. Yeah, specifically Jesus. Harm well, like, to Jesus. Harm to, oh, well, I kind of have thought about harm toward God, but not enough to say that. Right, but like this is, this was, and funny enough, this is actually where my very first little dialogue with God came from, was actually out of dealing with this girl uh, and my anger at that and uh, how I dealt with her and you know, and so I wrote this uh, this story called Unforgiven, a dialogue in three persons. And that, you know, this was back in when I was still at Caltech. So this would have been like 94, 93, something like that. Um, and that was, um, you know, that, that, you know, that was the forerunner of this massive body of literature I've written of all these dialogues with God and myself and journaling and, and everything, it started there where, like, I was really pissed off at God, and I knew I was being a jerk, and I just didn't know what to do with it. And um, what happened was is that, uh, like, I basically got into a fight with uh, God the Father, and then Jesus came, and, you know, I said, you know, um, like, I got all this thing, what do I got to do with it? And Jesus said, well, that's why I came here. And he basically, like, took a nail and drew all the pain out of my heart and then went off stage, and I hear the sound of a hammer striking nails through flesh into wood. And it's like, mm. yes, 
this is precisely why Christ died, because they did wrong things to me, and I did wrong things to them. And that is the human condition, and it just sucks. And if we're just stuck with each other, then we are doomed. But this is precisely why Christ died, to give us a place that can carry away all of that anger and all of that pain that we literally have no idea what to do with. Hmm. And did it carry the way? It did. Yeah, like I was able to forgive her, I was able to forgive myself, and I was able to move forward. Like, not like I resolved all of my issues by any stretch of the imagination, but it was like, it's like, you know, when, um, you ever try to clean something when you don't have any soap or water and you're just kind of wiping it? And so, like, you just sort of smear the dirt around mm-hmm. and the cloth gets dirtier, right? And then, mm-hmm. like, if that happens again, you just keep going and the cloth gets dirtier and dirtier and you're smearing the dirt more and more around. And, like, it's, it's like that with all this anger and all this friction, both at the individual level and, frankly, at the societal level, is that all of this, you know, all these rounding errors, all this stuff where we can't resolve it, it just piles up until you get to the point where you're now it's like, you know, my life sucks. I have become fully disenchanted, right? Everything mm-hmm. I do is pointless and really meaningless because all the joy in life and agency has been sucked out of me by a thousand tiny insults over 50 years. Right? Yeah. And this is precisely why Christ had to die. And this is, uh, this is the low king of Everland, right? It is the king who was brought low so that we don't have to choose between being a victim, a tyrant, or an outcast. Because those are the only three roles left in the limit, right? Either you stay a victim forever, or you become a tyrant and victimize others, or you run away to a ghost town, right? Yeah. I like the ghost town. All right, my daughter is here. I was standing right by her and neither of us saw the other. So anyway, I should probably stop ranting and go take care of my family. But I did not. I was just sitting here. Um, All right. I will send you a link to the story. I'd love for you to read it and tell me what you think. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Love you. God bless. God bless. Bye. Bye. Bye.